0: You can get bitter or you can get better. Hashtag Carpe diem. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. <laughs> And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble. Most of the Red Rock Dynasty League rookie drafts are over. I think we've got one of those left to complete at the moment. Three new Dynasty drafts have started up with another two coming in the, in the next week or so. So that's a uh, pretty exciting stuff. Some, uh, some interesting results to say the, to say the least. Devin Booker is a top 10 pick. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is the number two overall pick in a real salary league. I'm going to be breaking down some of that stuff when those drafts are a little bit further into the uh, a little bit deeper into that actual draft. So, yeah, stay tuned for that if you are interested in Dynasty League stuff. Today's episode, we're going to be looking at players who are heading into their third season in the NBA. Last week, I did an episode, which many people seem to enjoy, uh, and uh, we're talking about fourth year players. We're going to be talking about third year guys, Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. The reason I'm looking at fourth year players and third year players is because these are most often the seasons that players take big step forwards. We have guys in their rookie year and they take steps up in their second season, but it's guys that head into their third year and fourth year who either take big moves forward in terms of their uh, efficiency numbers, their uh, usage rate spikes their ability to uh, handle the ball and get assists goes up. And generally, their roles on their teams improve as well in that those guys in their third season can often be players who take on a larger chunk of minutes. You always have your, your studs like your Donovan Mitchells who get big minutes early on as rookies or second-year guys. But often you can get players taking on much larger roles in their third season. And uh, to a uh, to a lesser, well not lesser degree, to a different degree, fourth year place. So we're going to be looking at those guys in their third years, what their opportunities are for this coming season, and how it projects out for fantasy. Let's have a look at uh, what at these guys heading into their third season. We will start with. The Blue Arrow Jamal Murray, who was uh, obviously pretty impressive last season, was the 59th ranked player there in Denver, played 32 minutes a night, an 81 game, started off the season a little bit slow, couldn't hit his shots, had uh, Dr. Michael Malone throwing some interesting rotations out there and limiting Murray's minutes when the shots wouldn't go in, he just wouldn't play him. But towards the end of the year, we saw Murray start to get significant playing time, in fact, Over the last month of the season, he played 37 minutes a game, which is obviously a wild amount and was a top 40 player. Part of the issue that, that I have with Murray for this coming season, not that I don't think that he's good because I do, it's the presence of Isaiah Thomas. Will Malone use that ridiculous quick hook that he had on Murray last season now that he actually has a capable backup point guard There in Thomas, and I guess the definition of capable is a little bit loose considering how Thomas played last season, but I imagine if he's healthy, he'll be better than that. I still think that Murray plays a little bit more than he played last season because, again, that was skewed by some early season weirdness. He won't get that 37 minutes that he got in the end of the season, and he can take a step up in his efficiency numbers. He was still really efficient last season, but maybe that field goal percentage could even go to 47, 48%. Uh, It was at 45 last year. Maybe a little bit extra in the assists, although that's mainly Nikola Jokic's domain. I think that uh, Jamal can take a step forward by playing those extra minutes and becoming a, not a more reliable player, but more reliable for, for us and for Malone. Um, in terms of those uh, consistent minutes. But there is still that specter of Isaiah Thomas sitting uh, sitting on top of him, unfortunately, and uh, yeah, that doesn't work necessarily great in terms of confidence levels. But I think he's a legitimate shot to be a top 50 player for this coming season. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jamal, Jamal Murray and that whole Denver dynamic plays out this coming year. The next guy we'll take a look at is Dario Šarić of the Philadelphia 76ers. Um Šarić was a guy through I was pretty I was pretty down on him last season cuz I thought and not I thought, I knew that rightfully so in his rookie season he played well in a stretch of about 6 weeks when Joel Embiid was out and basically there was no one left on the team. I thought with Ben Simmons coming in with Embiid being healthy with JJ Redick around, he was going to a find it tough to get that same level of um uh, that that same level of usage, the same level of playing time. And it started off that way. He was on the bench. He wasn't getting anywhere near that same level that he saw the previous season. But then they made a change to their starting life. Jared Bayless went out. Michael Fultz was hurt. So Sharic moved in and they played an extremely big lineup with Simmons exclusively as the point guard. And J.J. Riddick as the smallest man on the court. And Sharic was able to be the 73rd ranked player last season in only 30 minutes per game averaging 15, almost 7 uh, rebounds, two threes, and shot the ball really, really well. Went from 31% from 3 up to 39%. And this season, I have similar level of concerns that I had the year before. Not that he won't play the same amount of minutes. He played 30 last season. Maybe he plays more. Maybe he plays less. But I have a, a high degree of confidence in Markel Fultz heading into this season, and somebody is going to have to lose playing time there. Will it be Bobkov? Will it be Dario Saric? Maybe it's JJ Reddick who played a lot of minutes last season. I think all three of those guys are at some level of risk of losing one to two minutes uh, so that Fultz gets a, a big chunk of playing time. I think Tim, Timothy John McConnell is also at that risk, as is someone like Amir Johnson. Now, I don't think Sharic is necessarily taking a big step back, but I don't think he will also take a big step forward. I think he's still probably going to be a top 100 type of a guy, but will he take that step forward to be a top 50 player? I think that's highly unlikely with Fultz coming up with Wilson Chandler there as well to play some backup three, four minutes. I think Sharich will play a lot more backup center minutes, minimizing Amir Johnson, even though there's no Rashawn Holmes. We'll see a lot more Sharich at center type minutes. But I think when we look at him taking a step forward, it, it might be a little bit of, of a tougher ask for him to do it this season. And He proved me wrong with that last season, no doubt about that. But, um, yeah, I guess I, I'm still worried about where does Fultz fit in? Who is Markell taking those minutes from? If they play Hell at point guard, that means Benny Simmons moves back to the fore and then Saric is in real trouble of getting that playing time. So I think there is a little bit of a risk with him. And I'm supposed to be talking about guys in this show who are going to take a step forward. But I, I worry a little bit with Sharich that uh, he might be uh, on track to take somewhat of a step back. The next guy I'm I'm pretty confident is going to take a a step forward, and that is the artist formerly known as Torian Prince for the Atlanta Hawks. We know what the Hawks are are doing. Dennis Schroeder is gone, and his 31% usage rate, that is out of town. 14 points last season for Prince with almost five rebounds, a steal per game, 43% from the field, 84% from the line, over two threes per game. But importantly, he was a top 50 player in the last two months and a top 30 player over the last month. Now, a lot of that was because Dennis Schroeder was injured and we saw a larger role happen for Prince. His usage rate spiked. In fact, over the last 15 games, he had a usage of 28% and was also giving us four assists per game. I don't think either of those things are going to stick for this coming season. Overall, he was the 74th ranked player. But I do think that he has a real chance of being a top 50 guy. Consistent minutes, a a, a rise overall in his usage rate. I don't think the assists are going to stick with Trey Young around, a guy that even though he takes a lot of shots, is a big assist player. But I think Prince is going to be able to, and this is something I talked about earlier, players heading into their third year, get that increased ball handling responsibility. And we saw it for a 15, 20 game sample from Prince last season. And it worked out pretty well for him. So, if he ends up averaging four assists per game, I don't think you should be shocked. I don't think it's probably likely, but it's, but it's a chance. And he is a guy, I'm going to be looking at this later in the week as well with ESPN uh, ADPs and ranks that are currently available. Um, I think he's a, currently a, a massive, massive steal on, on ESPN's side at the moment. I think he's primed for a big, big year, uh, heading into that third season. Showed a lot in that second half of the, again, albeit without Schroeder when, when Trey Young and Jeremy Lin come in and take a lot of that role there too, but I think he bumps his usage. I think he bumps his assist rate overall for the season. I think his efficiency rises. He shot 45% from the field and 91 from the line over those last 15 games. Shot the three ball well pretty much all season. Had this weird stretch in January where he struggled, but I'm, uh, I'm pretty big. On, uh, on on on, Tori and Prince having uh, having a strong strong season for this uh, upcoming year. So look look for him as a, as a real draft steal at this current point in time. Let's have a look at at a group of guys here. Some of these guys are going to have some pretty significant uh, value, I think, for this coming season. We'll start with Chris Dunn of the Chicago Bulls. Dunn battled numerous injuries last season. wasn't able to cl- uh, close the year out. Ended up only playing 29 minutes per game, but was still the 51st ranked player. I think that he is going to be a top 50 player this year. While I like Cameron Payne, the Bulls are going to be giving big minutes to Chrissy Dunn. And he's not going to be a high scorer, but assists, steals, solid rebounds, pretty good blocks for a point guard. Again, the third year rise, does his efficiency go up? Does he start hitting the three ball at a higher rate? If he can get to 1.43s per game then he's really got top 35 production. Now, I don't really love Dunn as a player. I don't think he's a very good point guard. I think he's an elite defensive player, but a, a shitful offensive player. But it's the opportunity. He is going to be in a situation, much like we've seen with Dennis Schroeder these last couple of years, where he's going to get this opportunity. He's going to amass assists. He's going to get steals. He's going to get rebounds. And he's going to work his way into getting points as well. I think Dunn is, is in for a, a pretty big step forward this season. If not... Uh, on core play, at least in his uh, fantasy production. And he does have that opportunity at least to bring that efficiency back, get that true shooting over 50 where he was at 49 last season, already took a six percentage point leap from his rookie year and could go even further again. So I think Chris Dunn is in a very, very interesting spot heading into this coming season. The next guy on that list there is Budrick Heald of the Sacramento Kings. Heald had a, a weird year last year. Um, he was the 99th-ranked player. The Kings refused to start him, and that's fine. They view him as a sixth man, most likely. But post-All-Star break, he was the 51st-ranked player in only 28 minutes, averaging 15, 4, and 2.5 and assists. But most important thing about what Heald did last season is he doubled his steal rate, went from 0.7 per 36 up to 1.5 per 36, and over the last month, he was at 2.2 per 36, so really cranked those steals up. Got the assist numbers rising as well over the last month, up to four assists per 36, which was up from 2.3 his rookie season. Now, I have never been the biggest Buddy healed fan, but I think that this season, if he can maintain that steal and assist rate rise that we saw at the end of last season, he's not going to need 32 minutes a night, and I don't think he'll get it, but he, he's a real chance at being, being a top 75 sort of player for this upcoming season. We know the efficiency's there. And if that steal rate holds, then that really does boost his value. So this is a big, big season for Bud. He showed some pretty impressive improvements last season. Again, don't think he's ever going to be a star, or an all-star, or even a 33-minute-per-game starter. But what I like from him is the efficiency, the scoring, adds rebounds, or sorry, adds assists and adding steals. Really, really strong stuff. from from Budrick in that last half of the season, which I think um, projects pretty well for this coming year. Let's have a look at uh, Malcolm Brogdon, a guy whose uh, second season was, uh, was pretty ruined by that quad injury, also by the acquisition of Eric Bledsoe. He still was the 104th ranked player playing 30 minutes per night and was super efficient, a true shooting of 58%. I'm a little worried about where it heads for him this season. He is an older player, obviously. What sort of minutes will he get? They did bring in Pat Connaughton. Sterling Brown should be looking for some extra minutes, and not that those guys are excellent players, but they play in that similar position to Brogdon. Will they play Brogdon exclusively as a backup point guard? That's going to limit his overall value as well, and I just wonder what area is he going to get better in? With Eric Bledsoe around, he's not going to be the point guard, so the assist numbers aren't going to rise. He'll get you a steal, he'll get you a three, he'll be efficient, all that's nice. But is there really top 100 potential here in Brogdon? So I think that while he had a really nice rookie season, especially the second half of that season, I worry that he's not going to be able to take some big leap forward for this coming year, um, and his value might be in a, in a little bit of trouble there. Let's talk, let's talk about Brandon Ingram. A player whose rookie season was fairly, fairly poor, uh, and by fairly poor I mean very poor. He was the 270th ranked player in his rookie season. Last year he improved significantly, went to 112th in, uh, in value there. Saw his, uh, ranking, right, sorry, his minutes rise by four per game, averaged 16, 5, and four with 0.8 steals and 0.7 blocks. But more importantly, the efficiency went from 47 true shooting to 54. Still a little bit below league average. The 39% from three is impressive. It's on very, very, very low volume. Under two threes attempted per game it is crazy low. And I do worry a little bit about what Ingram's going to be able to do this season because LeBron James is there. LeBron James. And you can make the argument that LeBron makes some players better. But the problem I have with Ingram is that so much of his value last season came in a ball handling role. And with Lonzo Ball, uh, Rajon Rondo, Lance and if he's in the rotation, but more importantly, LeBron James, who also plays the same position as Ingram, even though LeBron will be playing the four, the ball is going to be out of Ingram's hands. So he really thrived in his ability to get to the basket, directing traffic, having the ball in his hands. He's not a spot-up shooter. He's not taking these threes. Yes, his three-point shooting did improve quite significantly, but he isn't a spot-up shooter just at this point, and I worry if he's forced into more of that off-ball role alongside LeBron as that percentage will come down. Now, he has taken big steps forward and he's still really, really young. So he could make all this look silly, but I just worry that the assist number dips, some of that three-point shooting dips, um, the steals and blocks aren't really there. He's not hitting enough threes. I just not, I'm not sure that we're going to get a big step forward from Ingram. Um, 112th ranked last season. Not sure that he's able to necessarily improve on that. And I'd be pretty stunned if he got himself into the, uh, into the top 80, top 70 discussion. He could. I just don't see it happening when I'm trying to balance out all these numbers. Uh, on this uh, on this Lakers team, unfortunately, for him. Karis Levert, a guy who I was really, really impressed with last season. He was the 129th ranked player, thrived in a backup point guard role when both uh, Jeremy Lin was out and D'Angelo Russell. Now, of course, Lin is gone, but Russell is back. Spencer Dinwiddie is around. Shabazz Napier is there. I don't know how they're going to be using Levert. I think Karis Levert's a better player than Alan Crabb. I think he could take a step up and be a better player than Damari Carroll for this coming season. But where does he fit in? He, he does thrive in that role, much like Brandon Ingram, as being that ball handling guy. And over the part, the last six games of the season, he averaged almost six assists per game. Over four, four the season, over a steal, over a three, 12 points. His efficiency was all over the place. He had some really shit runs, but then some good runs. 44 from the field, 35 from three it is okay. True shooting of 53, it's still below average. But that's where we can see Levert's numbers hopefully taking a step forward, a little bit more efficiency, some more ball handling role as well. And I think he's got a real chance to crack the top 120 this season. And depending on how the Nets uh, do things, and they still, I believe, the Nets are going to make some moves, whether that is Dinwiddie, whether that is uh, Crab, whatever it is. An opportunity opening up for Karras heading into his third season. He's fully healthy. The broken foot's not a concern. He can score, he can rebound, he can steal, he can defend, he can hit threes, and he can get assists. He's got all the makings of a top 60 fantasy player if he was given a starters role. I don't think that's necessarily coming this season, but I do really, really like him. When we talk about Karis Levert and his long-term value, just it's going to we're going to have to see how things break on this uh, on this Nets team as to what his role is going to be. Jalen Brown. Probably a better real life player than a fantasy guy, although I still think some of his real life uh, contributions are a tad overrated at times. He was the 136th ranked player last season. Um, if you take away the free throw percentage and pump that away, he, he goes to barely being a top 100 guy. Averaged 31 minutes, 14 and a half points, five rebounds, 1.6 assists, and one steal. And that's part of the reason why his value is low. He, he played pretty well, but only 14 points, only under two assists. Only one steal, under half a block, 64% from the free throw line. Yeah, some numbers there that aren't great. It's not like he was a great free throw shooter and saw a dip. He was at just 69% in his rookie season and dropped that to 64% last year. But look, encouragingly, post All-Star, 79% from the line. So I guess we could have a little bit of a hope that that does jump up. And I do think it will improve. But of course, the return of Gordon Hayward, the potential of a full season from Kyrie Irving, where does that leave Jalen Brown in terms of role in that starting five and and usage? And can he bring these other things up? Can he get his assists and his steals and his blocks and his free throw percentage up to make him take that step forward? I think that's a little bit doubtful with those players coming back in Boston. He might again be a little bit better as an on-court player, but is he getting more minutes and is he able to do those extra things? So I think there is reason to be concerned that Jalen may not be able to be uh, the guy that uh, Celtics fans think he is from an overall fantasy point of view. He just isn't this great option, and I don't think his ceiling for fantasy is necessarily that high either. DeMontis Sabonis of the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, Sabonis had a pretty impressive season last year, uh, coming across playing minutes uh, ahead of Miles Turner at times as well. 25 minutes per game, 11 and 8. He averaged with 0.5 steals and 0.5 blocks. But it's those 0.5 steals and 0.5 blocks that is always going to limit his upside. I think that those block numbers could actually decrease this season with Kylo Quinn in town. That's another guy to play center. Meaning Sabonis is probably going to have to play the four a little bit more. But they also have Dougie McDirt, whose best position is at the four. Boyan Bogdanovich, who can play some small ball lineups there as well. And of course, uh, Fiduce Young is the starter at power forward. So what's Sabonis look like this season? Can he take a step forward and play more than the 25 minutes per game he played last season? It's going to have to come at the expense of Miles Turner. And while that's not... Um, it's not completely off the board. I do think it's unlikely. He could improve some things there, but he has historically not been a good defensive stats guy, Sabonis. And I don't think those two things are going to change. We were really impressed with his passing and his assists. So perhaps that takes a step forward this season. But I think playing him out of position more, which I think they'll do at power forward, is a little bit worrisome when we look at his overall value for this coming season. The Hammer... Denzel Valentine of the Chicago Bulls with the arrival of Jabari Parker, the drafting of Chandler Hutchison. I do worry that the hammer is not going to be able to get to that same level that he was last season where he did sneak into the top 150 in 27 minutes per game. Like Karis Levert, he is a guy on the wing and Brandon Ingram who handles the ball and gets assists, three assists in 27 minutes per game. But I just think that his uh, opportunity this season is going to be significantly reduced and, and I'm not having huge hope in uh, in Denzel, the Hammer Valentine, for this upcoming season. Dejounte Murray is a real interesting one. We saw him take over that starting point guard role about halfway through the season. Uh, I think a big year is coming here for Dejounte. He only played 22 minutes per night last year and cracked the top 180. I expect that to rise pretty significantly for this coming season. Now, he's not a point guard that's getting you big assist numbers. He's not going to be out there dropping seven or eight dimes where we've seen that from him. DeMar Rosen's going to have the ball in his hands quite a bit. But uh, what he is, is an extremely strong rebounder. Over six and a half rebounds per game post all-star break in 27 minutes. Two steals, half a block. And for a guy that can't shoot, having 46 and 71 as your field goal and free throw percentage is pretty good. Can't hit the three for shit. So he's not giving you anything there. In fact, he attempted, let me bring this, just 34 threes all year, and hit nine of them. So he is quite a, um, unique type point guard. I think you get really strong rebounds and uptick slightly in assists, the good steals, the good blocks, and the okay field goal percentage. It should make him a pretty solid top 100 guy. I'm, I really, really like what DeJounte can do. He's going to get way more minutes than he did last season. I think it's going to be a pretty big year for DeJounte as we head into this, uh, into this coming season. Freddie Van Bleet obviously had a breakout. Last year uh, for the Toronto Raptors, didn't play much in his first season, but uh, was able to be almost a top 180 guy last year in 20 minutes per game, shooting 43 from the field and 41 from three. Averaged over three assists per game. Now, I guess it depends. It's going to be a battle between him and DeLon, right? But if he can really separate himself from DeLon, and depending on how Nick Nurse views things, maybe we see 24, 25 minutes from Van Vliet, and he takes the minutes from Dan Green as well, and gets you four and a half assists, gets you 12 points hits those threes. But I think if we're looking at it uh, objectively, he's probably going to be a player who who maybe can be a top 150 guy, but has limited upside and more looks at it as a streaming three type of guy who does add in some nice assists. But obviously very impressive last season, could see a rise in efficiency again this year, which would really help out his overall value. And another thing that I haven't mentioned The players as they get into their third year tends to increase is their free throw rate. So for a guy that hits free throws at the rate that Van Vliet does, he could be seeing an uptick in that percentage category, which obviously then helps his scoring as well. I think that that could help him in, in that sort of, uh, in that sort of an area. A former team, teammate of Van Vliet, a current teammate of DeJounte Murray is Jakob Pertl. Pretty interesting to see exactly what happens with him this season. He was the one hundred and eighty-fourth ranked player last season. He heads to San Antonio, ostensibly to be the first big man off the bench behind Lamarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol. But if I, I wouldn't be stunned if at some point he starts over Power, plays next to Lamarcus Aldridge. And we've had a big run last season with uh with um Pirtle where he was a standard relevant player. Sixty percent field goals, high block numbers, decent steal numbers. He was really putting that together. Now, it did fade a little bit at the end of the year. But if he gets 24 minutes a night for San Antonio, I wouldn't be stunned. I don't think I'm going to necessarily project him at that level. But it's all going to be down to how they use Pau Gasol, how they use Yucca and He could be a very nice high field goal, high block, decent rebound sort of a player for fantasy leagues for this coming season. Upside's probably limited overall, just not going to be a high usage, a good shooting, three-point sort of a guy or passing. But you could get good blocks, good field goal percentage, uh, solid rebounds, and enough scoring to make an impact. It's all going to come down to how that role shakes out for Jakob Pertl. Obviously, we're just going back and forth now between Spurs and Raptors players. Let's go to Pascal Siakam of the Toronto Raptors, who was uh, quite impressive last season as well. Played 21 minutes per night. The Raptors today did sign Greggy Munro, as Greg runs in, we realize this could get dangerous. Um, prior to that, they didn't have a, another center on their roster. They had Jonas Valanciunas. I thought they were going to be bringing Sergio Barker off the bench to play those backup center and backup power forward minutes, with Siakam getting the rest of those minutes there as well. But Munro in the mix. Now, that still won't be the case because Greg may not necessarily play in every game. He did struggle at times with Boston last season. But Siakam is an interesting guy who, who does bring you the steals. Can bring blocks, good field goal percentage. The assist rate for him improved significantly. That was impressive for Pascal last season as well. And he was barely outside the top 200. I think he can take a big leap forward with a big increase in his overall playing time this season. He's not going to hit threes. He's a horrendous three-point shooter. He takes them, but he's a horrendous shooter. But I think his ability to get you know, a modicum of defensive numbers, but the high efficiency could rocket him up to be maybe a 16-team league guy. And perhaps he goes even higher than that. At. The next group of guys we'll talk about Yogi Ferrell of the uh, of now the Sacramento Kings played in Dallas last season. Played a significant role, started alongside Dennis Smith last year with Seth Curry. Came a little bit off the bench, but played a pretty large role. But can he maintain that same role in Sacramento with Budrick Hill, with Bogdan Bogdanovich, De'Aaron Fox? And Frank Mason, the third there. Where does he fit in? Apparently, he wanted to go to Sacramento because he wanted that opportunity to be the backup point guard. So maybe he can do that. But I don't think that he's going to be able to leap, um, be able to re- replicate what he did in his second season. I think he's a backup at best in this league. And uh, I wouldn't be really counting on too much from Kevin Ferrell over there in uh, in Sacramento. Marquise Chris obviously was a massive, massive disappointment last season. And with the way the Suns have brought their roster together, bringing in McCall Bridges, bringing in Trevor Ariza, drafting DeAndre Ayton, Chris is going to see his playing time dip. Now, he was absolutely shit house last year, one of the worst players in the NBA. No IQ, tech fouls every five seconds. Yeah, five fouls in 20 minutes, just nonsense play considerably. Came into the season overweight with a gigantic ass. Let's see what changes here in his third season. He's still young. He's still got potential. But what role is he going to play? Is he going to be a strictly backup center behind Aiton? Are they going to go with him at power forward and leave one of or two of Josh Jackson and TJ Warren on the bench, starting Trevor Ariza at the three? I I don't think that's going to happen. Where does Bridges fit in? I I just can't see Chris taking a big step forward. I think the Suns would be open to moving him in a deal. I have very little faith in his ability as a basketball player from the mental side of things. Physically, he's got physical ability. He can jump, he can run, but can he actually put himself in the right position to make those things count? To be fair, though, to Chris, at the end of last season, he looked a lot better. He was you know, much more switched on at that last stretch of last season, I, I was you know, way more impressed with him there because at the start of the year, he was an absolute shit show. He was a write-off. And I've mentioned this about Marquise plenty of times. Give this bloke 30 minutes per night. He's a top 65 guy. Really, really comfortably. He'll block shots. He'll hit threes. He'll rebound the ball at an okay rate. He'll score. He'll get steals. He'll do all these things. He's just not good enough to get those minutes. And, and that's, that's uh, yeah, the reason. And the way that they've brought in these players here in Phoenix... I just don't know where he's going to be able to get even the 21 minutes per game that he got last season. Again, the last two weeks of last year, he played 29 minutes per game. It's only four games, but he was the 47th ranked player, averaging 15 and 10 with 1.3 blocks and 52 and 77 as his percentages. They are brilliant numbers. But will he get the opportunity to play that role? I think that's highly, highly unlikely. But there is still some untapped potential there. If the brain switches on and he figures out how to actually play the game as opposed to just jumping, then you you could see those numbers come because they will come. I will almost guarantee you they will come if he gets that opportunity. It's just will, will that opportunity actually come for Marquise Chris. The Sacramento Kings big man, uh, Scalabissier, it is his third season. We talk about third-year guys at breakout. I don't see where Scal's doing it. Marvin Bagley III, Willie Cauley-Stein, Zach Randolph, Costa Cufos, Harry Giles. Where does Scal fit in that pecking order? He should be ahead of Zebo, He should be ahead of Costa Kufos. I don't know that he is, though, um, probably behind Bagley and Coley stein in, in that zone with Giles, but I think there's a chance he doesn't even become an every-night player here, Scal, and is really squeezed out of the rotation and could very comfortably be traded. I still think he's got ability to be a three-point shooting, shot-blocking big man who can score and do it relatively efficiently. I just don't think it's happening this season, but if he gets traded, I'd be very interested to see exactly how that works out. Dragon Bender of the Phoenix Suns, pretty much... Uh, everything I said for Chris in terms of playing time discussion applies here for Bender. The problem is, is that uh, Dragon Bender needs about 45 minutes per game to produce what Chris would do in 25 minutes per game from a fantasy point of view. And I can 100% guarantee you, he's not playing 45 minutes per game. I like what he can do defensively. I like his ability to move the ball. He just doesn't rack up stats. The shooting's weird from Dragon Bender. I, I just don't. I don't believe that he is going to be anywhere near an impactful player from a fantasy point of view, with all the things that I mentioned earlier about Marquise Chris um, being, a, being a part of that. Wayne Seldon third a real chance to grasp that starting shooting guard job for Memphis. Dylan Brooks had it last, last season. Marshawn Brooks had a crack at it as well. Seldon has impressed the last two summer leagues and then got dicked by a terrible quad injury similar to the Kawhi Leonard situation, came back and was inconsistent, had some moments, had some awkward moments, he showed an increased ability to handle the ball and get assists, which was impressive. I think this could be a big step forward. Now, it's all going to come down to grabbing that starting shooting guard job. Now, Dylan Brooks was impressive at times and had a good end to last season as well. I think they should be trying Seldon there as a knockdown shooter type alongside Conley and Marcus and Kyle Anderson as opposed to Dylan Brooks uh, and the secondary ball handler type guys, or probably tertiary or even uh, quaternary in that lineup with Gasol, Anderson and Conley. But he would be an interesting guy there, but it's all going to come down to what they decide to do between the two Brookses and Saldo uh, as to what they end up doing there. But he's an interesting guy that probably goes under the radar a little bit. His former Memphis teammate and now Sacramento Kings player Deontay Davis will absolutely not play for the Kings this season. He won't be on the roster. I'm pretty sure they're going to waive him, but I wanted to mention his name just for completeness sake. We're getting down to the, uh, to the dregs of the players. Apologies to these blokes. Troy Williams, who, uh, played for the Knicks last season, is on the Pelicans. They desperately need threes. I know some of my followers really, really like this guy as a player. He has had his moments in the past, and this is an opportunity, clearly, with Etwan Moore, Solomon Hill. These are the guys, Kenrick Williams, who are potentially battling for minutes at the three here. If Williams can step up in his third season where big steps can happen, maybe, maybe, probably not. DeAndre Bembry, I get the feeling that he's going to be left behind by Tyler Dorsey and Kevin Huerta this season. Much like some of the other guys I talked about earlier, I like his ability to be a passer from the point guard, shooting guard, small forward spot. Defensively, he's pretty good. The offensive stuff, the shooting, he is a real, real bother for Bembry. If you ever found himself in a role where multiple injuries occurred? Baysmore was gone and Dorsey was out and Huerta was injured and he was playing 27 a night. He'd be a top 120 guy, top 100 sort of a player. Getting to that's probably a little bit tough though. Thon McCurr really started to show out last season in the playoffs, Some big minutes for Thon, some big... Performances, but of course, Brookie Lopez is now in Milwaukee as the starting center. I think Thon is the backup, but he's going to be have to battle, have to be battling them up at John Henson. I think that McCurr is ahead of him, but it all comes down to what Mike Dudenholzer thinks. We know that Joe Prunty had uh, McCurr ahead of Henson in the playoffs. Whether that sticks remains to be seen. And Thon has not really had a good regular season at all. Strong playoffs. He needs to build on that, but he was also strong in the playoffs in his rookie season and didn't turn that on in his second season. It's going to be an intriguing thing. A shot blocking, three point shooting big man like Lebissier. Solid free throw shooter. It can handle the ball a little bit as well. Not overly big on Thon, but there's an opportunity to get at least a bigger role than last season. Dorian Finney Smith in Dallas. I don't rate this guy as a fantasy guy at all. Check Diallo. I do in New Orleans. He should be the fourth big man there behind Nikola Miritic, Julius Randle, and Anthony Davis. And Meka Rokafour is still around, so there is a, a battle there. And if Diallo plays 27 minutes a night, he's a top 100 guy. Of course, multiple injuries would need to occur, and Alvin Gentry would need to change his thought process completely on Diallo. But all those things could happen. They're not happening for rugged Ronnie Baker, who's no good. One of the worst contracts in the league, even though there's only one year left on it. Shouldn't really be playing at all. Manny Moutier, Trey Burke... Frankie Nilakina, Timmy Hardaway, Courtney Lee, they're your top five guards. You've also got Damian Dotson in that mix also. Um, Baker just shouldn't play and probably won't for this coming season. Let's just go through the rest of the guys around. Paddy McCaw, still unsigned, will likely go back to the Warriors, but unlikely to play a significant role. It's going to be him or Jacob Evans that gets those back up two, three type minutes. Um, McCaw has his abilities. He can hit threes at times. He can get steals, and that can all be fantasy valuable, and he can play some point guard. It's more of a deeper league one, but he's not even on a team just yet. Wade Baldwin the fourth should be the backup point guard in Portland. Love what he has done through Summer League. I thought he was impressive last season as well. There is Seth Curry around, but Wade could get 15 or 16 a night, and this is a real opportunity for him. It could mean that he ends up get trading traded. It could mean that the, the Blazers look to move someone like CJ McCullum. Baldwin's big. He can guard to his really, really long wingspan. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. I'm interested in him. Brittany Forbes for the San Antonio Spurs. I, you know, I get the feeling that Forbesy may not be in the rotation every night. Damar DeRozan, Pat Mills, Lonnie Walker, the fourth there as well. I'm not really sure where Forbesy is going to fit in. Not big on him. If it's Zubats. Uh, I'd say we're going to be having JaVale McGee start at centre for the Lakers, then at Zubats and, uh, and Flamingo Wagner. <laughs> battling for those backup minutes. Zubats is a per minute monster. We've seen him be impressive pretty much in most times when he's been on the court, has struggled with some issues. But if he ends up finding a 22, 23 minute role, that's an easy 14 team league guy. Needs to take that step up, become a big shot blocker, be highly efficient, but it's all about earning minutes. And he does have that opportunity here pretty clearly. Timotei Lawau cabro excelled at the end of his rookie season, was gone missing all of last season, now finds himself in Oklahoma City with a battle, uh, with Alex Sabrina's, Terry Ferguson, uh, MC Hamadou Diallo. Stop! Have a time! If for those backup minutes at the two and even at the three behind Paul George, or maybe if he he does take a step forward, and I believe in luwawu Cabrera I think he can be a quality NBA player. He's smart, he knows where to position himself, great cutter, great mover, can handle the ball as well, and maybe we'll see some lineups with uh, Robertson at the at the three. Lawawu Cabro at the 2 and Paulie George at the 4 if Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson type uh, combinations don't work at that starting 4 position. I think there is some upside here in Lawawu Cabro. Someone to just keep an eye and we'll see how that all plays out for Oklahoma City. My man Wancho Hernan Gomez for the Denver Nuggets. I like show, strong rebounder, hits 3s, can score. Defensive stuff's going to be a worry, but I think he's got a high peak whether he actually gets there is the concern. And of course, with the way that the Nuggets are going to run their rotation, where is he going to find that playing time? Trey Lyles is the clear backup behind Paul Millsap at the four. You've got uh, Farton, Will Barton at the three, and then it comes down to will Dr. Michael Malone play his son, Tori Craig, or will he play Wancho there? Now, Wancho's best position is at the four, but he played a lot at the three, and he can handle himself. He's very, very strong defensively for a guy playing out of position on the wing there. Uh, I just don't really see it happening for him for this coming season. We might be looking two, three years down the track before show becomes a solid 20-minute per-game player, which is unfortunate because I do like him. The last uh, group of six guys I want to talk about here, Hank Allenson from the Detroit Pistons has an opportunity to move into that spot vacated by Anthony Tolliver, But of course, the little dog... Glenn Robinson III is also there to play some backup four minutes. Allenson played a weird role in summer league, took every shot possible, couldn't hit any of them. I don't think that he's an NBA caliber player. Malik Beasley of the Denver Nuggets has an opportunity also to move into some of those minutes vacated by baby neck Wilson Chandler. Isaiah Thomas will take some of those also. Beasley needs to step up. I'm just not sure he's ever a starter caliber guy or a great fantasy guy. While Malachi Richardson, I don't even think he is an NBA rotation player, plays for the Raptors now, pretty much won't see the court. The last three guys, two warriors, Damo Jones, the big man behind Geordie Bell, behind Kevon Looney at the moment, and of course, behind Boog Cousins. When he returns, not really sure what Jones is going to do. Can be a high shot blocker, can score with high efficiency, but I worry that he's really probably not going to be in the NBA after this season. Andy Harrison in Memphis, really impressive last season from Harrow. Played uh, point guard, played shooting guard. But of course, Mike Conley is back. You've got uh, Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks, Wayne Seldon, who's also back this season. I think that Harrison is going to find it tough to replicate what he did last season. But he was impressive. Did some really good stuff defensively. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff liked him at the end of the year. He needs to take steps forward in his efficiency, which was improved, but still not great. But he's out of this group, he's probably the best guy there. Although I uh, shouldn't give too much short shrift to my man, Quinn Cook of the Golden State Warriors. Cook could be a starting point guard in the NBA. It's clearly not happening on this team. Assists, efficiency, scoring, hits threes. His efficiency was off the charts in the NBA and in the G League last season. It wasn't a short sample size fluke. He's done it for a while. I liked him in New Orleans. I like him in Golden State. And if he was to go to a number of teams, he'd probably be their starting point guard. I think he's better than probably Trey Burke and Frankie Nilakina in New York. I think he's got some real, real upside. It's not going to happen much this season, but I could see him being ahead of Sean Livingston in the rotation for this season and ahead of Pat McCaw, obviously, and be an every night contributor. Uncle P, Nick Young is gone, meaning Livingston will play more at the two. I think Quinn Cook plays quite a few minutes. And if Steph gets injured again... Not, not a guarantee, but of course injuries can happen to anyone. Cook would be the immediate pickup player there in Golden State. That wraps up all of the third year player talk that I want to do in today's show. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn and on Stitcher and on YouTube. Smash subscribe, hit a thumbs up, leave a comment below. Check out the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net and me on Twitter at Redrock underscore B-Ball. Guys, We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Marquise Chris.